Hello, this is Joe and TJ, and we are the Schoolhouse 302, and we want to welcome you back to Focus Ed for Season 4. We are truly excited. Focus Ed is a collaborative project with the University of Delaware, the Delaware Department of Education, and the two of us, Joe and TJ, at the Schoolhouse 302. TJ, tell our audience a bit more about Focus Ed. Absolutely. Focus Ed is a podcast that gets recorded with a live audience. We do 14 episodes every season. We're in season four, but you can find season one, two, and three on our site at theschoolhouse302.com. It's a professional development experience for anyone who wants to attend, and then we blast it out from our site. We interview great leaders, authors of popular books, and experts in teaching, learning, and leading so that you can lead better and grow faster in your school or district. Thank you for listening to Focus Ed, and we hope you'll join us live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Focus Ed, where we invite expert guests to join us. In this episode, we have Lori Barron. Thanks for joining us, Lori. We are thrilled you're on the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Absolutely. This month, we are focused on having a belonging in schools and classrooms. But as always, we want to get granular and specifically discuss strategies that educators can use to increase students' sense of belonging and reinforce the habits that support classroom harmony and ultimately learning success. So with that, TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Lori? Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Dr. Lori Barron is in her 27th year in education, serving as a high school English teacher, a middle school assistant principal, and nine years as a middle school principal. Since 2013, she has served as the superintendent of the Evergreen School District in Kalispell, Montana. Barron holds a bachelor's in English education from the University of Georgia, a master's in supervision and administration from University of West Georgia, and a doctorate in educational leadership from the University of Sarasota. I'm going to name a few of her accolades here. We could go on all night, I think, if we don't cut some of them short, but here we go. National Superintendent Certification through AASA, National Board Certified Teacher, Teacher of the Year, Star Teacher, Georgia Middle School Principal of the Year, National Middle School Principal of the Year, School Administrators of Montana G.V. Erickson Award, Empowered Superintendent of the Year by the Montana Educational Technologist Association and Montana Superintendent of the Year. That's a wow. She has co-authored three books, We Belong, 50 Strategies to Create Community and Revolutionize Classroom Management. That's the one we're going to be talking about tonight. I have my copy right here. Middle School, A Place to Belong and Become, and What Parents Need to Know About Common Core and Other College and Career-Ready Standards. Dr. Barron's a national speaker, consultant, and leadership coach, and she says she's living the dream in Northwest Montana with her husband, Daniel, where together they enjoy spending time with family watching Georgia Bulldogs football, snow skiing, camping, rafting, hiking, and watching their daughter, Emma, play college soccer. Okay, Lori, we're going to jump in. You wrote a book called We Belong, 50 Strategies to Create Community and Revolutionize Classroom Management, published by ASCD. Why do you think this is so important? And what did you want school leaders and teachers to take away from this book? Yeah, I think particularly I grew up as an administrator right as No Child Left Behind started. 
right? So I became an administrator in 2002, a principal in 2004. And so much of what I learned as a first year administrator, and particularly my first three to five years in leading schools was all about instructional leadership right? You got to be an instructional leader, which I'm a big believer in and think is critically important. And so there was so much focus on content, on curriculum instruction and assessment, which I'm passionate about and think there should be strong accountability for. But I feel like somewhere in there, we lost that whole concept of the kid. You know, we're really there to teach kids first and content second. That doesn't mean you don't teach content. It's not kids only content never right? But the whole concept that if we really want to make advancements, if we really want to improve outcomes for kids, we want to do that for the whole child, right? Not just academic achievement, but social emotional learning, cognitive, getting along, self-awareness, soft skills. There's so many things. And that doesn't happen if a kid doesn't feel he or she belongs. If all we do is go after teaching content and we forget how important the kid is, it's really hard to make progress. And so to me, I think for all of us, I don't care what our ages are. I'm 49 years old and I still want to belong. I don't want to be excluded. I don't want to walk into a room of my peers and feel like no one will speak to me or sit next to me or choose me for their group. It is very hard to want to contribute, to engage, to participate if you feel like you don't matter. I don't really care about that math test if I had to eat lunch alone because I have no friends. And so really getting down to what the common denominator is of success in school. And it's the whole idea that kids need a place. They need to know not just that they do matter. I think kids matter to us, but do they know they matter? And so really working on what are we doing to help kids have that fundamental sense of I matter. I'm important. Someone notices if I'm not here, I belong in this place. And then teaching is so much easier. And Lori, I think we all can agree. And I think you and I are pre-show discussed for a second. We're very similar in our track in education, also 49. And I think just the ebb and flows of, you know, certain jobs we've held. And I also feel the same way about NCLB. And I think ESSA attempted to some degree make up for that and correct some of those mistakes, but certainly not to the degree that you know, I know, and everybody on this call knows. But let's get granular a bit because I love the idea of, you know, what are we doing really to help students know that I matter, right? The kid knows that they matter. Can we get into that a little bit? What are things we can do, you know, tomorrow? in our school so students know they belong? You know, there's so much tomorrow more important because that's where we are right now. But, you know, it really begins with a big concept of how are you preparing for belonging? How does a kid feel knowing where the kid stands, knowing what kind of school environment you have? What is your school like when you walk in? And all that's bigger picture stuff. And I know this sounds so simple, but Joe, as you and I talked about pre-show as well, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of new educational leaders. And one of the things that I really talk about a lot, if you want to talk about building relationships, right? Trusting relationships is the biggest key. We have got to build strong relationships with staff and students if we really want them to work with us and to trust us and to take risk with us. And I'm not talking about as a classroom teacher, because what a teacher does in a classroom might be different than what you're doing day to day, even if you're in and out of classrooms. But you as a leader, if you are not already engaging intentionally, methodically with staff and students on a regular basis, I really encourage you to make a plan for that. You know, the book is geared toward all educators, but a lot of classroom strategies. But when I think about it from a leadership perspective, you know, one of the things, particularly as a principal, and I think most of you are either assistant principals or principals that are on the call. Is that right, Joe? Mostly building level principals and then assistant principals. You know, I've done this 
gosh, 21 years. And these five things for engaging with staff and students every day, you know, every day, first, it's a daily building walk, get out of your office, walk the hall, say hello, you don't have to stop at every room. I always had to get back and do announcements. So I couldn't spend a lot of time, but from eight to eight twenty-four, because announcements were eight twenty-five, I had a path and I hit every single door in the building every morning. It saved a whole bunch of people from coming to me because I knew I was coming to them, which saved me time later. That's the daily. Weekly, be in every classroom every week. I don't care if it's 20 seconds at 3.31 on a Friday afternoon. Don't let that be your pattern, right? But get in every classroom every week. Kids see you, adults see you, you see what's happening. You can support a teacher when that negative parent phone call comes in. No, I'm in there. I know what's happening. Weekly classroom visits every week. Quarterly, we do feedback to teachers. We make it a more intentional visit. We actually give written feedback. So four times a year, a teacher is getting feedback. We're engaging with those teachers. Engaging helps people feel they belong. They matter. I'm communicating with them. And then I love this one, Joe. I do this one as a superintendent as well. So if you want to think about this one, every single supervisor in our district, so that includes our administrators, does a semester check-in twice a year with staff. If we can't get staff where they feel like they belong, it is very difficult for them to get kids where they belong. And so twice a year, anybody we evaluate, we do a semester check-in and no evaluation, no evaluation questions. And we just ask them four things. What's going well? Man, those are cool to hear. Sit back and hear people talk about the positive, right? What can I help you with? My favorite question, who's been helpful to you? Listening to them shout out and brag on their people. Oh my gosh, I love it. And then number four, the hard one. What can I or anyone on the leadership team do to improve? I'm going to ask face-to-face. I'm not going to send an anonymous survey for you to hide behind a keyboard because if I need to improve, I need to hear it. And we do that twice a year. The most impactful thing I do for relationships with staff, for them feeling valued and cared for and as if they belong. And then hopefully they're modeling that in their classrooms. And then of course, we have our yearly formal evaluation. By the time we get to that yearly formal evaluation, which I don't put a whole lot of stock in, it's not my favorite thing. It's just super easy. I see them every day on a daily walk. I see them every week in their classroom. I give them quarterly feedback. I meet with them one-on-one twice a year. When I get to that formal, makes it a lot easier. That engagement with people that you can start working on tomorrow, you can start a daily walk tomorrow. And I'm happy to throw those in a chat or something if somebody wants me to. But I think it's critical as a leader in the building, we've got to realize if we are telling and asking teachers to help kids belong, we got to help them belong too. And that starts with helping our staff belong. That's fantastic wisdom, great advice. I like the system. I want the listeners to really soak in the systemized manner in which you described going about that. The first 24 minutes of the day, it's not 25. It's the first 24. It's not random or just frequent. It's every classroom visited every week, just to make sure that we're there. The visibility of that, but just the systematic approach to it. I think a lot of people, they have the intention of going to go do walkthroughs. I'm going to get my teacher observations done. I'm going to make sure people get feedback. But then when the day takes you away from that notion that you're going to do it without a plan, without having it on paper, without a system, it's probably not going to happen. I think that's new leaders fall prey to that. TJ, I also, I have a chart. I have an Excel chart and I have a symbol for each of the five things and I mark them off and hold myself accountable, right? And I can look at it at the end of the week. Oh my gosh, I haven't done this. As a superintendent, in fairness, I have three buildings and I do each classroom once a month. As a superintendent, I don't get in there once a week. 
That's great. I mean, even there, that's a system in and of itself, making sure that you're there to follow up with, with your leaders and have that presence. It matters a ton for engagement. And so I wondered if you could dive in a little bit when things aren't going well. So we want to revolutionize the classroom experience for kids. And you talk about classroom management and creating community, but I bet you everybody who's listening right now, who's on the call or who's listening at home after production can think of a few places where they're like, yeah, but what do I do when it's not going well? I hear how we can build strategies for community, but I have some places where I need to rebuild and develop trust where it isn't either with a teacher or in a classroom. Do you have some advice on that? Yeah, I think I would expound even more upon those weekly classroom visits. I think one of the criticisms that we often face as educational leaders, and you can maybe give me a thumbs up or your crazy look on the screen, is that, you know, we're out of touch. We don't get it. We're not a teacher anymore. You haven't done this. Or if you have, you haven't done it in a while, or you're not doing it today. And so when we're offering that advice or that mentoring or coaching or support to a teacher who's struggling in a classroom or to a teacher who's trying to help a student who's struggling, I think sometimes we haven't earned the credibility to do so. Even if we have the skill set and the ability and the relationship and the capacity, if we haven't earned it with that teacher to say, hey, can I give you this idea? Have you thought about it is really hard for them to see us as someone credible to give them advice. You know, I was a high school English teacher. When I walk through a kindergarten classroom, it takes a lot for that teacher to think I have something valuable to offer them, right? I was not trained as an early learning teacher. So the more I am in that classroom and the more I can engage, I think the more credibility I earn. And so to me, that engagement and earning credibility is huge. But the piece I really want to focus on there, TJ, is I think honesty. Honesty is kind, right? Misleading someone, not giving someone full, honest, effective feedback isn't good for you, isn't good for them, and certainly isn't good for students, right? How many times have you seen in a classroom where a teacher, out of love, care, and nurturing concern for a student to help him belong, perhaps, right? To make sure she feels included, overhelps. Have you seen it? Gives too much support right? You see those levels of support and they're helping them way too much. And they think the kid's being successful. And then when they have that standardized test, the kid can't even do it because you've basically given way too much on the level of support. The same thing can happen with teaching. And what it does when we're offering that much support to a student or to a staff member, and we're not holding them accountable for improvement on their own, we're leading them to believe they're okay. Why would they try for more intervention? Why would they try for more enrichment? When they think what they're doing is okay, if we are not able to have honest, courageous conversations, it is really hard to help ourselves or anyone else. And they've got to be kind and they've got to be the right time. You know, you don't pull a teacher on her prep during second period to tell her what a stinky job she's doing and send her back in third period. That's not kind. It's not helpful to anybody. Does she need to hear it? Probably. Could you maybe do it at the end of the day so she can go home for a little bit and process before you send her right back in to teach kids, right? I mean, how we work with people and the honesty we provide them is critical. It does not help anyone to pretend something's okay. And that whole warrior hide behind the keyboard stuff makes me crazy. If you said, for example, I'll pick something silly, don't wear jeans to school. We don't wear jeans. Two teachers wear jeans to school. And so you get behind your keyboard and send an email to your 57 teachers. As a reminder, we don't wear jeans to school. How is that helpful? Because the people who are wearing jeans probably didn't read the first email that said not to. So they're certainly not reading that one. 
right? And the ones who are reading all their emails aren't wearing jeans because they know the rule. And then they feel like, are you kidding? I'm having to read this, right? We have got to be courageous enough if we really want to build credibility and we really want to help staff improve and we really want them to help students improve to be able to have those one-on-one conversations. Get out from your office, get out from behind the keyboard and go say, hey, can we chat? What are you wearing jeans for today? Did you see that email? Oh, you're not reading emails either. Ha. Okay, let's work on that, right? We've got to be willing to have one-on-one conversations. Same thing. I cannot stand. I don't know how many elementary principals we have on here, but raise your hand if you're an elementary principal. Special blessings to you. I was a high school English teacher and a middle school principal. So my experience with elementary is as a mom and as a superintendent. And I do not understand the whole silent lunch in the cafeteria. You know, it doesn't work, right? You know, they're still talking. You know, they're still communicating. And then this punished the whole group because two people were acting like two-year-olds. We've got to have the courage to talk to individual staff and individual students and not do blanket statements behind a keyboard and not do blanket punishments to everyone. Okay, the whole staff, we got five staff being tardy to supervision. So the entire staff has to work an extra hour. Oh my gosh, they would eat us alive. But we do it to kids all the time. So having those honest conversations that are kind and thoughtful and private, one-on-one, face-to-face, instead of abusing it through email, I think is a big step to addressing concerns that we have with staff or with students. Laura, I don't think we can stress that enough. TJ and I always talk about candor. First book, Candor and Compassionate Feedback, is that candor is compassionate. And I do appreciate you saying that it's kind, thoughtful, private, and you know, don't do it behind the keyboard. Can we talk about this a little bit more, though, because I do think this is on a lot of people's mind about this idea of having high standards, holding people accountable, knowing that right now we're just in an odd time. People are struggling and there's also a lot of vacancies. So I know that and we've heard this time and time again, people are afraid to push because if they push too far, they could easily just tap out and they can get hired tomorrow in another district. And I have a few thoughts of my own on this, but love for you to share. How do you balance that? How do you still maintain high standards through creating this culture that people want to still be a part of that's not going to force them out the door? You know, if we could all do it well, we might not have as big a problem in public education, right? So I certainly don't have the perfect answer for you, but I think it goes along with what we've already been talking about. I fully believe that people, students, staff, administrators, we want to do well. Usually we're doing the best we know how. And when we know better, we should do better, right? But I think that the whole idea that we can't have high standards without pushing people out has become, I want to be sensitive here because I want to be careful. I know that I don't know all of your situations. I know I don't know what all of you are working with. I fully acknowledge that. But it's become kind of a crux for giving us an excuse not to push for higher standards sometimes. And I say that with sensitivity and understanding that I do not know all of your positions or roles. But I think about my own child. She's 18-year-old freshman in college. So she's not at home right now. But when she was, and there was the expectation that she do something, if she didn't do it, I didn't ease up and say, okay, be a bad kid. I loved harder. I explained more. I gave her a turn to ask questions so that I could push harder. Because the harder the love and the care and the trust and the credibility, the more likely they want to meet your expectations. I think what becomes hard is if we just throw out the expectation without the support, or we give a directive without collaboration and input. That ticks people off. They don't want to just be told what to do in their classroom when you and I haven't been in the classroom for a while. 
they want to be a part of what happens. And I think if we're going to hold high standards, if we do it collaboratively and we do it regularly, and it's not just you need to do a good job teaching the two times I come in a year to evaluate you for a formal observation. We can hold high standards. It's when we haven't built the relationship. It's when we haven't established credibility that we can't hold high standards and we really upset people and push them out. If we work really hard to collaborate and let there be collective decision-making and consensus and not just top-down decisions, they'll make harder decisions for themselves than we would have for them. If I say to my kid, she comes home for spring break next week. Hey, look, I know you're like a semi sort of adult where mom and dad are still paying for everything. I want you to keep that in mind. What time do you think you should be home? Given I got to sleep at some point and you know I don't do so when you're not here. Help me out. What do you think is fair? She'll give me a time much earlier than I thought I should have given her as an almost 19 year old. We've got to include our students and we've got to include our staff when we're making those high expectations. When we're all agreeing for accountability, we're not going to wear jeans. I pick something silly. I know. If the whole group agrees and we talk about it in person and we talk about why we don't want to wear them, they're much more likely to be accountable to the community than they are you as the boss. The key is establishing a community where we want to do what the expectations are. And we're helping establish the high expectations, not having a one leader in charge. I tell you, you mess up, you're in trouble. You didn't meet the expectation. The key to high expectations is community. The stronger the community, the stronger the relationships, the stronger the credibility, we set the expectations and we can hold ourselves accountable. Much easier than if we're setting them by ourselves and then getting on to people when they don't do it. I'm so glad that you explained it that way because Joe's right. I think that that myth that if you push people too hard, they'll just leave is permeating the system now more than ever because of the shortage. And I'm afraid that if we don't hold people to high expectations and have us grow and learn together within the profession, we're actually going to exacerbate the problem, not the other way around. You're exactly right. Yeah, the number one Gallup always shows that the number one thing that people want to get from work is to feel that their contribution is mm -hmm. made and that it's celebrated and praised. And number two is that they're growing in their current position. And if we don't push, people won't grow. If they don't grow, they're not going to want to stay. It's clear in the research and we just need to do it in a loving way. Joe and I just wrote a piece and in it, we talked about the fact that pressure without support creates an unfair environment, but support without pressure is just maintenance for the status quo. And so okay, that's I not need what we to want. Put that in the chat. I'm going to need that statement. Tracy, can you get that in the chat? Somebody send that to me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, we'll send that to you. Somebody will tweet it out. I see the yeah. tweets coming yeah. through too. I want to switch gears just a little bit because our listeners love to hear from people like you. You know, you've got a storied career. You've got lots of accolades. You've written great books. We know that you're continuing to grow and invest in yourself as a leader. So we want to dive into some of those strategies. What are some resources that you would say people need to have on their shelf? Maybe it's go-to people for you, go-to books, places where people can really feel like they're getting the resources that have helped you to grow in the position that you're in now. Yeah, I would say my number one resource by far is the network of people I put myself with outside of my school district. So very first, the very best advice I can give you outside of this mentoring that obviously you're all participating in after hours on a school night. Thanks for hanging out. My mentor told me some of the best advice I've ever heard. She always said, keep one foot in your job. You got to do your job at your place of employment and keep one foot in your profession. 
so that you can continue to get better at your job. And keeping one foot in your job helps you contribute to the profession. If you are not already, I encourage you to be a member of your state and national association. I cannot tell you that so many things that I've had the opportunity to be a part of, the books I've written all started from relationships with my colleagues in my state and national associations. That is my number one piece of advice. Number two, for a real quick one, and this is an oldie but goodie, and maybe I wouldn't read it the same today with experience. I don't know. I do. I got it out yesterday. This one right here made a difference in how I treated people. You will see my favorite two chapters are going to fall out because they're no longer in the book. <laughs> so watch which one it is. Base every decision on the best people. Quit hiding behind the keyboard and getting on to everybody, right? Take care of the people that aren't doing what they're supposed to. So this book, What Great Teachers Do Differently, 17 Things That Matter Most by my colleague and friend, Todd Whitaker. Super easy. You can read them out of order. If you haven't read this yet, I really encourage you to. Or I think we agree 100%. We're a big fan of Todd's work. He has a really gifted way of making things simple, but not necessarily simpler. And I think that's an important distinction. And that whole idea, and in that book, he writes about the copy machine example, which I still use to this day as well. I've never heard it really said or phrased that way about job profession, but here in the state of Delaware and a lot on this call, there are opportunities. And I would agree with you. I was heavily involved in the Delaware Principals Academy. It's been morphed over the years into different things, but that was a game changer. And some of the people that I'm friends with now today, those relationships were formed 25 years ago when we were all starting. And it's funny because some people you keep in touch with, some you don't, but it is nice to have someone to call for sure. Outside of education, Laura, is there anyone outside of ed? Because TJ and I are big fans of certain people, especially in the business world and some other professions that just provide a little bit of divergent thinking on some of the similar problems. It's just a new way to look at it. You know, for me, I have all these books right here. Y'all are making this so easy. I can just grab one. So I have books that have been influential and important to me. And I had the opportunity to work closely for a presentation session with Carol DeWitt, who wrote Mindset. And, you know, she's more in the psychology field. So I know that relates to education, but it's not an education book. And I come back to that one a lot. And I think it loops back to what TJ asked earlier. How do we make this happen? And I think about the psychology of how we work with people, not an instructional strategy, not do you have your learning target on the board, important, right? But if we don't know how to work with people, and you know, I think about Daniel Pink's drive, right? And if we don't know what motivates people, I think it is really hard to implement educational strategies and goals because if we can't relate to the people we're working with and we don't understand what their mindset is and where they are, it's really hard. If I'm working with someone one-on-one -on -one and I'm being as kind and as thoughtful and as loving, I had one yesterday. Gosh, and I don't think these happen to me as much anymore, but y'all, I was flailing. I was meeting with a teacher over a negative situation and I was not being successful. And I was trying every strategy I've just given you. I was loving, I was kind, I was thoughtful, I was high expectations, a lot of support, and I was falling apart. It was not successful. And she's just staring at me, y'all. It was so uncomfortable. And finally, you know what I did? Because I didn't know what else to do. I stopped the conversation. I took a breath. I said, hey, let's stop talking about that for a minute because we're not really getting anywhere. Both of us are uncomfortable. Tell me about your kid. What's she doing these days? She's still playing volleyball. For 15 minutes, we talked about her kid. She showed me pictures. We had great discussions. We laughed. As we wrapped that up, she said, all right, I'm ready to talk about the other now. Best 15 minutes of my day. Took me a while to get there, 
but the psychology of working with people and understanding their mindset and where they are, are they in a space where they can hear what you want to say? Because if they're not, I don't care what strategy you use. Because I'm telling you, I was not being successful yesterday. And so that human psychology piece, looking at those types of works are powerful to me. Well, we love that. We love the psychology part. Definitely drive, definitely mindset. We're going to link to both of those along with what great teachers do differently in the show notes for the listeners, for our readers. Lori, this has been an awesome experience. I've taken a ton of notes. I can see Joe writing off to the side as well. I've got Lori Barron quotes from Focus Ed Podcast going here. It's really hard to engage and participate if you feel like you don't matter. And that's true of both our teachers and our students. And so that's great wisdom. As we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to share or say or even request of our listeners or the folks on the call today? You know, actually, yes. One irrelevant, not part of the conversation, but I did put my personal email and my Twitter in the chat. If you want to share those with the group, I'm happy to engage in conversations or play devil's advocate or give you someone outside of your arena that you can talk to who has no idea who people you are you're talking about. But I think the critical ask, if we're going to save public education and it's in crisis right now, it's going to start with us being positive. I cannot tell you, I can take a lot of stuff and I tell our staff this all the time. I can take a lot, but I can't take negative. I just can't take it. If you need to just shut the door and vent, you just tell me, hey, I'm about to let it go here. I'm so hot and heavy and I'm mad and I need to fuss and cuss and do whatever. Okay. But that constant negativity about inside the school, outside the school, legislative, politics, misbehavior, social, emotional learning, whether or not we can teach it, we can address all of it if you can be positive. We help determine how people view us and public education. And if our response is negative because what they're spewing is negative, we're not helping right? We have got to, at every turn, take a breath and positively represent what's great about a free and public education for all of our students. And so I encourage you and challenge you to find the positive. And when you need to be negative, find that person you can talk to and shut the door because we need to be able to vent too. But let your public persona celebrate the work your teachers are doing, the work your students are doing. Let your community see the good Make sure you're helping tell your story. And I'm happy to engage with anyone on Twitter or through email. And just a huge thank you, Joe and TJ, for having me today. I love talking about all this great work that we get to do together. A very generous offer from Lori with her personal email in the chat and her Twitter handle for those who were here on the live call. And a great way to end the podcast with some final words and a call to action educators out there, stay positive. We need to spread a positive message about what's happening in our schools. And it starts with us and it starts today. And it's the only way we're going to save this great profession. Lori, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Such an honor and a pleasure, Joe. Great to see you again. I met Joe through our national association. So get involved and be positive. Absolutely. Likewise, Lori. How about a virtual round of applause from the folks on the call today for Lori? And don't forget to follow the Schoolhouse 302 for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more at schoolhouse302.com. That's the schoolhouse302.com. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. Until then, stay focused. Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live 
and in person all the time and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.